welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Daniel Atkins. He's an intuitive psychologist who helps people understand the lineages and layers of emotional trauma they carry. He acts as a bridge between the world of Western psychology and the intuitive spiritual realm. He teaches the trauma, in all its forms, is an opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of our human experience and teaches us how to clear a path to our highest selves. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, Dan, welcome back to the podcast. And I just want to reintroduce Dan and just go over what we did on the first podcast. But he's an interesting combination. He's a highly trained traditional psychologist. And through his own, I don't know all the details, but pretty rough, long journey, he broke out of it a few years ago. And he's developed a perspective that is his, his own version of my perspective of that once you break out of this world, you first of all want to share the, the love. I mean, it's really a remarkable journey. Same of all, we both now know there's a tremendous amount of neuroscience basis kind of research that actually backs our approach. So the medical world tends to look at intuitive psychology and the things we're talking about, you know, play, laughter, love, spiritual journey, and a bit of negative turns, but they're actually physiological states that allow people to heal. So chronic pain, both mental and physical, is a solvable problem. Um, I'm excited to work Dan, with Dan as a resource as he and I have a very similar outlook perspective, and we have our own version of the same principles. But um, Dan's in um, the Los Angeles area, right, Dan? Correct. By the way, welcome to the sh- welcome back to the show. Thank I you. guess this is your podcast, so I should let you talk a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but we've had a good time, and um, so he had a, so just in the first podcast we talked about his journey. I would encourage you to listen to it, where he's evolved to, and I want to really jump to more what he looks at now as being effective in treating chronic disease. So Dan. I walked in your office. I don't know who you are. I've been in chronic pain for 10 years. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I get back pain. I got irritable bowel, spastic bladder. And I walk into your office and how do you approach me? So I'll start by saying that in my training and, and, and what is um, fairly typical is long sort of intake processes and history gathering that happens up front, which is understandable because clinicians feel they need to really gather so much information. I was, to be honest, I was always kind of a little fed up with how long that took that we were almost having to write like these comprehensive history reports on people just to start working. And what I found when I expanded into what I call more intuitive realms or other ways of knowing, I would start meditating before a client's and I was getting messages. And this may be a little woo for your audience. You know, if, if I talk about, say, connecting with spirit guides or something like that, I, I don't really need to tell, I don't really need to say where they're coming from, but I was getting messages about uh, the people I was working with, maybe in the beginning, it would start out with an emotion or a visual or a, a visual metaphor. And so I felt like I had a basis of where we needed to go right away. So when I would meet uh, with someone who was new, I would always let them lead the space, but I would share a little bit about me and the way that I work. And then we would really go right to um, what felt like 
the top layer of the onion that needed to start being peeled. A lot of times it's a present circumstance that is very distressing. Though what I find from my own view of trauma is that all trauma reenacts, not just from early life, but from ancestry. It reenacts and it reenacts and it reenacts until we're ready to learn the lesson. So if there's a present circumstance unfolding with a job or a relationship or health or money or something, it's, it's going to connect to the deepest layer of the onion. So if we just start right there, I'm going to know everything I need to know about how the nervous system is dysregulated, how people are activated in a chronic uh, threat response and, and defense system in, in relation to that circumstance, which is going to relate to all circumstances. A lot of, you know, let's say it's, it's pain. If people are coming in and talking so much about the pain, then we can go right there. We can talk about, I'm always listening for the associated emotions and conditioned beliefs about the pain, because again, those emotions and beliefs are not, are not newly formed about the pain. They're reenacted from what they've been carrying for a lifetime. One question I'll typically ask is if I could make their pain go away like that, did they think all the negative emotions and beliefs would go, go away along with it? Because naturally you might think, yeah, no, it's the pain. It's just the, the pain that I'm feeling hopeless about. But the truth is, is that we all respond to those circumstances differently. Those emotions and conditioned beliefs were there before the pain. So that's immediately what we start to do. But it's, of course, it's always based on a person's level of readiness. There's always going to be a flow and a natural cadence to conversation. And some people may need to rant and vent a little more. And, and I'm not too, I can be powerful, but in a very gentle way, I'm never going to overpower someone or I'm always going to let them tell their story, but I do interrupt a little more than most probably because there's a level of ranting and staying stuck, as you would say, in the problem that I don't feel is super useful. So if I feel we're staying in really low frequency emotions, I'm going to start to inject some possibility, um, a different context, uh, and I and I can talk a little bit about this um, as well, which is I'll use more experiential tools to bring to start to almost immediately bring people into the body. And I do I can talk a little bit about the ways that I do that, but it involves some breath work, some visualization, and some meditation. Well, let me say a couple things. First of all, um, <clears throat> I'm assuming you know David Burns, who wrote the book Feeling Good. Yes, and I've heard you speak about him. Yeah, and so he and I I don't know him really well, but we know each other pretty well, and I've been to his seminars and. I mean, he does the same thing. He just asks the patient one scenario and how they react, and that's all he needs to know. Because you're right, our, what, I, what I do right now, today, is programmed by my entire life up to this very second. And so what happens is that you can go back and analyze why you act this way, but the bottom, is you're, bottom line is you're acting this way, so what do you do? So, so that's, that I, I think that's, again, it took me a long time to get there myself. Second thing, I don't let people talk about their pain once I know what the situation is, they can talk about their pain once and things <laughs> off the table. I mean, it's a little harsh and people get really reactive to that. But anyway, that's a different topic. But I do want to mention Bruce Lipton because Bruce and I put together four videos. He wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. And, um, you know, this, we're, we're energy beings and energy fields in particle physics has been around since 1927. And Bruce has made it very clear that most of our reactions in our planet are subconscious based on all the signals that come in. And so we try to make the consciousness as concrete as we can, but it's not. And so when we talk about energy fields, it's actually more scientific than not. There's a lot of physics behind 
feeling the energy between two different people, even on Zoom talking to you, I, I enjoy it. It resonates with me. And there's some people I just shut down with. Why is that? So I don't think that the idea of meditating before a client comes in, I think it's really, really a wonderful tool. And I'm guessing it's made a huge difference in your practice. It's transformed my practice. It's transformed my life. Like I'll do it before I show up on the screen with you or anyone because, and, and that's why I love Bruce and some others like Dr. Joe Dispenza, because they were bringing in the language of energy, which, you know, within the traditional clinical world would be considered a little woo, but it, res I mean, what, do, because in the clinical world, we talk about, let's say emotional attunement, but what do we think that is, you know, right. uh, at, at a, at a source material, to me, it seems very obvious that it's, that it's energetic material, that emotions are a form of energy. So are thoughts, so are the words that we use, so are the conditioned right. beliefs. And so all of that is source material. So for me, learning how to protect my energy was transformative in learning how to teach my nervous system how to be safe, how to show up on a screen with people, whether it's a client or another kind of relationship, and stay in my own power rather than giving over to some of those, let's call them people-pleasing dynamics, where we where we just where maybe we're in a conversation with someone and then we walk away and we're like, I don't know what happened, but I felt I you feel disempowered, you feel drained, like you said. And a lot of that has to do with that. We're all energetic beings, we're non-physical beings entering this human experience. And so you can walk into a room and feel the collective anxiety or immediately feel the collective freedom. And so right. that all happens on the energetic level. That's why right. I love Bruce's work. And, and it has been so impactful for me as, as this word self-care is very buzzy these days. But for me, if it doesn't involve energetic care and energetic tools, then it's missing something because I think um, the idea of self-care gets a little lost within the more traditional frame. By, by the way, Dan, I don't know if you noticed on my resources page, but <clears throat> Bruce Lipton and I did a series of four videos together along with the mini lesson plan. And we were so excited because we were almost word for word on the same page. I think you and he would be word for word on the same page. But we put together a series of four videos along with a mini lesson that I think your clients and many people would find very, very helpful. Sort of a, it's not the definitive answer, but it really had, jump starts a healing process. But anyway, so I, I just want to mention, um, ask you one question before we jump into how do you encourage people to be successful and, and, and how, why the spiritual journey is so much um, a part of it. But what I've found out the hard way is it's a high percent of people, and you use, you'll use the word aren't ready. I'll use to say, I used to just say they don't want to heal. My thing is they can't heal because they're just blocked. So to me, the biggest factor is success. So first question I'll ask you, if somebody decides to engage with your process and hang in there and go with it, I'm assuming you have a pretty high success rate. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, you can't put numbers on. It's hard to really measure success when it comes to this. But I also found out there's a fair number of people that are blocked that just aren't ready. I'm assuming you run into that quite a bit also. Mm-hmm. Sure. Do you, have you found, I have not been successful as I would like. Have you found ways to remove those blocks to get people moving forward? Yeah, so let me say one thing about uh, sort of success rates and things like that. You know, my my personal belief is that we're not meant to work with everyone. And when I say we, I mean each individual person in the healing arts is not meant to align for every person. So at this point, uh, you know, when I was working in a clinic, you know, it was sort of very um, common practice that we would just have our caseloads 
overrun. Um, you know, the, the clinic would have a wait list and you'd be working with a variety of people, a, a decent percentage of which were not ready to heal and, and didn't, shouldn't have necessarily been there, but that's just kind of the way things work. The way I've set up myself now to serve people is that by the time people find me, they're, they're probably at a particular place of readiness because the way I speak about my journey is going to be off-putting to some, and it's going to be welcoming to others. So there's already a kind of filtration system by the time people find me. But right. the other part of that is that people find me out of desperation after having exhausted more traditional landscapes. So they may also find me in dire straits. The first thing I'll start to invite people to see if they're ready, is from uh, what I would call a higher or more spiritual perspective, that these things that have happened to them were not mistakes, were not just for them to suffer, were not to just twist the knife into their life, but can be seen as a medicine, can be seen as fuel for transformation and growth. I truly wholeheartedly believe that about all my traumatic experiences. I don't fault anybody for not seeing it that way, particularly when you're in the throes of pain, because it's very hard to be grateful when you're when you're suffering. But I can be, I can, I've learned how to bolster myself and hold the light for people if they're eventually ready to meet me there. And people in dire straits who, you know, I work with people with with you know, suicidal ideation and things that, and, and, and deep, deep hopelessness that, that continue to pull them down when they flare up. But I, I think that the way I work with people is, is I know that that's not them. And eventually they come to see that those, those ideations, those emotions of hopelessness and despair, it's not who they are. Because we get, if you're experiencing it so chronically, you get attached to it and you start to speak like that. I'm a hopeless and depressed and suicidal person. But but over time, in a relationship with me, we can start to put the conditioned beliefs and emotions under the microscope in a way that allows you a bit of freedom to see that your essence, your true nature, isn't those, isn't those flare-ups and and that immediately starts to create a little space, a little breath, a little bit of a foundation to start to address what the blockages are. And that because it, it, it removes a lot of the self-identity and attachment to suffering. And yeah, so some of the tools that I'll invite people into doing that are some of that, uh, some that uh have been very impactful for me that I've sort of developed in my own style from people that have influenced me like Bruce, like Joe Dispenza, like some others that I've trained with. And that includes uh, particular styles of breath and, and, and guided meditation that, that I sort of use, but I, I blur the lines, but the meditation is one of these words that's so buzzy. And some people, when they hear the word, they're either like, Oh, that's for me, or that's definitely not for me. And the way that I would speak to meditation is really that it just it's just another form of guidance with me talking that involves people tuning into their bodies and learning to listen to themselves in a different way, in present focus. That's really all that it means. And so I'll guide people, particularly into the, the heart space, and I speak to sort of the energetic chakra system in, in addition to the physical body. So there's a lot of, you know, as you know, there's a lot of uh, neurons and neuronal connections in the heart and the gut as much as uh, in, in some ways, as much as the brain communicating more to the brain than vice versa. So if so, there's neuroscience to parallel this journey, but I'll bring people into the heart space. And what is amazing is, let's say, so I'll, I'll use what I call intuitive wisdom, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it accessible here. Like, 
I'll invite people to start to listen to themselves, maybe to, you know, people, let's say, do inner child work or, 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 or speaking to the heart. And one question that I can ask that almost invariably produces a phenomenal answer, even if people have no openness to another source of wisdom beyond the thinking brain, is if they tune into the heart space and let's say an emotion shows up and I'll say, is the emotion yours? Invariably, people will produce an answer and they don't necessarily know where it comes from, but they'll say yes or they'll say no. And if they say no, it provides an access way for what I see because through my own sort of intuitive wisdom and opening experience, I started to see ancestral lineages of trauma. I started to be able to identify where um, emotion energies as well as conditioned beliefs like Bruce talks about come down the pipeline from uh, maternal or paternal lineages. And a lot of times what we can experience is some of what people are carrying really isn't theirs to carry. It's part of their journey and their story, but it creates even a little more space from who they, how they're able to identify and what they're carrying. And then I have some energetic tools that uh, that utilize uh, different kinds of visualization that I've learned in, in ways of sort of clearing out the emotion energy as, as really like a, a physical and an energetic property, but also being able to process, also being able to experience it, to be with it and move through it in a way where clients feel bolstered. They feel supported, like they have a life jacket in the ocean while these waves of emotion flow through them rather than getting drowned and sucked under. Um, so again, they're not novel tools, but I, I feel the way that I bring it to people creates a fertile environment for them to really address these things in, in a safe way. Well, it allows them to relax. Yeah, totally. Right. So yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And so the thing about the nervous system in general, just so people don't understand that we're not out here just, it's not like mind over matter. We're actually connecting to the mind of sensations. And a friend of mine, Les Aria, that you may have been acquainted with, says you can't control what shows up. You can control how you show up. I mean, how the, the reactions are there, and you can just be this reactionary, you know, like in a paper bag mode, being stuck in it, fighting it, or you create that little bit of space and start making some different choices. And But you have to feel safe enough to do that. And that's where, you know, where your tools and expertise comes into play. So let's say I've worked with you for a few months. I'm starting to relax a little bit. My thoughts are not quite as racing. Some of my physical symptoms have disappeared and I'm definitely engaging. What, and I don't like the word success so much because what happens, life is so dynamic. So I found one of the traps that people get into, including myself, that you feel really good. Let's say you feel really good for a month. Anxiety is down, physical symptoms are down. And you sort of get attached to being that way. So we get triggered again and go, quote, back into the hole again. To me, success means you can never get out of the hole again and again and again and again. So to me, success isn't nirvana. It's just being able to navigate adversity more easily and quickly. And as you do that, then you're able to cultivate that spiritual perspective more clearly. To me, the healing occurs is you cultivate this sense of play, social connection, spirituality, but these are physiological states. Your body really is in a different chemical environment. You really do have different physical and mental symptoms. And so what you're doing, you're actually teaching people how to regulate your body's physiology. Am I saying that correctly? 
Yeah. And what I'll say about that and the slippery slope of the word success is that first, those foundations are crucial. But once we start to sort of really master, and and, and master is a tricky word because we're always learning it. But once the nervous system starts to upgrade in a way, and you start to see some changes in the symptomatology, you know, the journey continues because likely all the fear conditioning that's been keeping your life stuck starts right. to open. So opportunities in your circumstances start to appear. You may want to change. You may want to change where you live. You may want to change your job. You may want to change relationships. Maybe you stay in those things, but your intention, the way you are seeing the world is changing. So your life is naturally going to change. And oftentimes that can bring um, different kinds of fear and stress, but it's not new. It's just a deeper layer of fear that you're ready to, to expand through. You're ready to get even more free than you were when you were mired in pain. So the journey changes, let's say after a few months, maybe now we're talking about more expansive opportunities that you never thought were possible for your life, but you're ready to step into. And it can get more expansive and you can access greater states of joy and bliss that you didn't think were possible when you were uh, you know, uh, curled up on the floor in despair. So the journey changes, success starts to look different and can be even bigger and bigger. And I believe we're just here to keep creating as human beings until we leave. So yeah, I don't see an endpoint. Yeah, no, I think that's um, really, it took me a long, long time to figure that one out. You know, as a surgeon, I'm used to this, this, and this. And a big change for me personally about four years ago when I realized that is I had great states of mind experiences for months at a time compared to what I used to be for sure. And then I would, quote, fail, go back into the hole. But it's not failure. It's just life. No. I, and I would, yeah, I'll, I'll just piggyback on that and say it's actually part of the process because as we start to take bigger leaps, we may get flare-ups as the body naturally sort of contracts. But if we can be with that, if we can hold a higher frequency in our beliefs and not get sucked into the emotion states, then we we slingshot that much faster toward the light when we come out of those flare-ups. So it's right. actually like these these mini cycles of growing even more expansively. Well, people, I have to be careful how I word this because people take offense to this because when you're in the midst of adversity, it's a tragedy. I mean, nobody likes to suffer, but it's also an opportunity to practice your tools. I mean, each time it, you it's really, through, it's really one of the only times to practice your tools because if, if, if the universe is just giving you everything, abundance, success, you know, you don't really have much need for the safety tools. Right. I mean, right. you know, st actually states of excitement and joy can be a little threatening to the nervous system too, because they're activating, particularly if people haven't experienced them. But a lot of the growth does come in coming back, let's say down to the constriction to maybe the feeling of sickness and see and really holding a perspective that this is actually the finely tuned instrument of my body. It's needing more rest. This is how I'm growing. And, and if you can really hold those um, positive, deeply spiritual and meaning attributes to the growth process, it, there's nothing more powerful than that kind of growth. Right. And that doesn't come from just fixing the past, fixing the past, fixing the past. You actually have to learn and nurture that. Yes. That's a huge difference. And the metaphor I like to use is that of becoming a major league baseball player, you just keep swinging and swinging and swinging, getting better, better, better hitting the ball, but you're going to strike out a lot of the time. It's just a matter of repetition and practice. And I use the word persistence as a big one. So why is this word, and I'm just going to be really clear here, um, I am not religious at all, as far as any type of belief system. Um, I do use the word spiritual 
to me is life perspective, good food, good wine, good friends, looking at the universe is much bigger than you are. It could be how you want to conceptualize a higher power is, is up here mode. But to me, the spiritual journey is a big word, but it's also the ultimate answer for chronic pain. Yeah. And so I'll start by saying, making this as accessible as I can. So I, I grew up, uh, uh, my ancestry is Jewish, um, but I never really um, associated to the belief system. It didn't totally resonate with me. It didn't feel like a very spiritual person until uh, my father introduced me to Buddhist philosophy at an early age. So I started to learn about Eckhart Tolle's work. I started to learn about mindfulness and meditation. And those ideas resonated with me because they were very practical, actually. It was really right. just about present focus. And there were plenty of studies about, you know, electrodes on the brain and, and increases and all kinds of neurotransmitters from meditation. So I was interested in healing my suffering in those ways. The way I would say my, I use the word spiritual, the way that it has expanded for me is on one level, um, we have sort of this societal attachment to negative emotion states and conditioned beliefs and people, we get very sucked into the, the drama of stories. So certain things play out in the world. And, and this can happen on the level of a relationship between a parent and child or between friends or on the internet, which is a cesspool these days, where it almost seems valid and quote unquote morally right to be outraged, to be upset, to be depressed. It's like, oh yeah, of course you are. Of course you are. Because there's so many things happening in the world. But if we continue to use that perspective, we're just going to live a life of despair because there's always right. going to be horrible things happening. Right. So on one level, a spiritual perspective is just seeing that choosing to suffer is never going to be of highest service to yourself and other people. It doesn't matter if it seems right to fit the drama of a story, if it seems compassionate or empathetic, you by by the only way we are truly ever of service to other people is by holding the light within ourselves and seeing, and some people think that's selfish, but honestly, then let's be selfish because being self-serving in that way, learning how to nourish and take care of your own body mind, being your own parent is of highest service to the world. So I'll start by saying that is really one foundational tenet of that word spiritual and doesn't have to include anything woo about the origins of life. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, the only person you can deal with is yourself. And we both know the term mirror neurons. If you're in a good mood, happy, positive, that you actually directly directly stimulate that part of other people's brains. I mean, it's more than just sort of a, a philosophical approach. You're actually, from a purely physics standpoint, you're actually stimulating the people's brains to experience joy. And then, of course, we also know by staying negative builds on itself also the other direction. And so you build yourself into an abyss that's pretty darn deep. Um, so you mentioned that's, so you, you have some other layers to add to that. You said you'll start with that. What were some of the layers that you would add onto that conversation? So I'll start with that. And once we start to recognize that healing ourselves and being of service to the world really starts and ends with us, that it really is the personal healing journey that is all we're really here to acknowledge, our whole life and circumstance changes because so many of our issues are wrapped up in the relational world, how we're relating to our family, how we're relating to romantic relationships, to peers, supervisors, authority figures. So it really starts to sort of rewire all the ways that we show up in the space with others, learning that we we put, you know, and this is the most cliche 
um, idea of all that we put our oxygen mask on first, but it really starts to look different when we recognize that our energy, our emotions, what we're not willing to compromise, what our boundaries look like, this starts to show up differently. And then on the added layer, which, you know, I don't necessarily need to go there with other people, but but they'll likely know that this is a place where I'm coming from, that when we start to hone and tone what I would call that energetic compass, because once we clear out other people's energy, we start to learn what lights us up, what actually sparks us to live a creative and free and joyful and abundant life, which by the way, when we're so wrapped up in other people's stories, we have no idea what we want for ourselves. This is why right. so many young people have no idea what they want to do with their lives. So when we start to hone that, what I would call that energetic compass, that level of discernment, I personally have experienced that a different source of wisdom starts to flow through. And again, it doesn't have to be so woo. It can simply be stated that our thinking mind, our 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 our, our brain and what we call the mind that produces a steady stream of thinking does not necessarily have our best interests. You Absolutely. know, and we can go back to early life. We can, you know, look at your thinking. Has your thinking ever really fully supported you or has it been fully fear conditioned to see the world as a threatening place, to choose separation, to choose competition, to choose threat? A lot of what we call the ego is based in this thinking. And if we just acknowledge that that's not the truth of who we are, then we can start to explore that maybe there's another source of knowing. And we can call it coming into the heart space. We can call it, call it connecting to a divine source, which doesn't have to be this conception of God. It can just sort of be universal intelligence, which again, you know, citing Bruce's work and, you know, on the quantum layer, everything really is connected. So we could just call it universal intelligence, or we could just say that it's releasing attachment to thinking, which is a, a, a foundational principle of Buddhist philosophy. And, and by doing that, we, we strengthen and amplify that energetic compass to decide how we actually want to live, that it doesn't have to abide by the conditions or structures of our family, let alone society or the other environments we participate in. And we get to create the life we want to live. Well, let me just finish up our podcast with one really clear thing, because somebody could be listening and say, well, Dan and David, you're saying that my pain's quote psychological. What we're talking about is a physiological state. If your body's in fight or flight, you have all sorts of symptoms. Your life outlook determines your threat of threat versus safety. So what we're both seeing is that we allow people to feel safe for whatever way we decided we can help you do that. And that's why this whole thing about perspective and life and control induces a state of safety where the body in any species heals. You build up proteins, your body regenerates, you clear out waste products out of your brain, your body actually heals. And he and I, are, you and I are both seeing the same thing where people truly heal. It's not, this is not some psychological construct or mind over matter. We're basically making major changes in your body's chemistry and the healing is profound. And so um, I have a hard time getting people to hear that sometime. Any final words, Dan, about how I might say that better? I think what you say is great. And I would say, yeah, people hear it at their own time and readiness. But I guess the message that I that I do my best to send out to the world when it's not individualized is that it's a practice, not a pill, and it's an 
art, not an algorithm. So, you know, if you're finding that maybe you can't take in one framework or sentence or idea, it's about practicing. None of us start out as experts or masters in this game. And that applies to, you know, the beliefs that are going to help write the ship too. So starting a daily practice, just, just taking time for yourself to start to check in and see what you want for yourself or, or what emotions are, are beginning to surface. It's really just about starting that relationship to yourself, which has likely been ignored or abandoned for several reasons, because the mind attempts to protect us from our early life experiences and beyond. So it's really, if you hear anything, it's just about practicing being open to the possibilities. You may not be there now, and that's okay. Forgive yourself for it. But practicing being open to the possibilities of where you can go. Well, Dan, again, thank you very, very much for being on this podcast. We could talk for hours. We had a, <laughs> we'll do this, we'll do this some more. There's different topics to, to touch on. Um, but again, um, accessing your resources, you're, you're, um, I knew you, you do online work anywhere in the world. Um, you're a licensed psychologist, but doing more coaching now and moving people forward. And the perspective he offers as far as the um, getting your life perspective back is powerfully healing. And he and I are, are going through you know, we're watching quote successes by definition you know, we have our own definitions of that but we're just watching people heal consistently which is very energizing and empowering which we really enjoy so dan remind us how we access your services sure the best way you can reach me is through my website at drdanielatkins.com where you can also see some of my writing access to my podcast and and some other things. I also have an Instagram at Dr. Daniel underscore Atkins, which you can access some of the things I post on there as well. So, well, Dan, thank you very, very much. I enjoyed this as I thought I would. So thank you. Thanks so much, David. It's been a pleasure. I'd like to thank our guest, Daniel Atkins, for being on the show today and for sharing the approach he uses to help clients heal from pain and trauma. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.